Votes and Ballots. This is the podcast about elections around the world. With me, Daniel Stefanov. Votes and Ballots podcast is back. In this new episode, we are going to talk about Belarus again, but not so much about the recent developments in the country, the hijacking of a plane and the uh, arrest of the one of the popular bloggers opponent to the regime, but about one of the ideas of uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, the main opposition leader in her office, to organize an election as an attempt to end the long-standing crisis in the country. Uh, in this episode, my guest will be Alexander Schlake, one of the best election experts, uh, a former head of the election department of OIC and uh, an advisor of uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya currently, uh, also an old friend of mine. Uh, I'll start uh, now by saying hello to Alexander and with a very first uh, fast question about what is actually happening these days in, in Belarus? What is the situation there? Well, hi, Daniel. Uh, thanks for the very kind introduction. Pleasure to be speaking to you. And I hope this will be interesting for our listeners. Well, in a nutshell, uh, uh, what's going on in Belarus right now is, uh, is that things are moving quicker and quicker. About a couple of weeks ago, things started moving a lot quicker than they were before with the suicide uh, of a prosecuted activist, with the death of one of the political prisoners, with the hijacking of the uh, airplane and uh, uh, the arrest uh, of the uh, journalist and blogger that was on board, who was on board that airplane. And then later on uh, was the forced I'm quite convinced those were forced convictions uh, yeah. uh, on the, in the TV program. And I think that uh, in a nutshell, I think the things are accelerating for a good reason. Everybody, I think, feels in Belarus, what, no matter what their political persuasions are, that this crisis is, is no good for anybody. Yeah, so it, it looks I think, like that. Yeah. Uh, it is even more... Yeah, it looks like uh, no matter what you believe politically, which side you're on, it's becoming clearer and clearer that uh, nobody wants this crisis to continue. So that is why it is so much more important now to be speaking of the possible ways to get out of the crisis. And it is our deep conviction that the only peaceful way out of the crisis is the negotiation and the resulting uh, early elections of the president. So you, you, you think that there's several possible developments and the best one of them is to reach uh, open democratic election through some kind of negotiations with the regime. Is that your point? Well, I think that there obviously, as always in politics, there are very different possible scenarios. Some are, and I think that the current government, current authorities in Belarus are looking at... Uh, not only the peaceful ways to resolve the crisis, as they have demonstrated over the last nine months, but from our side, from the side of people who are fighting for democracy, we, the only solution we see is the peaceful solution. And uh, in, 
early this year, we have uh, announced the idea that uh, we would want to have a negotiated solution. More than 800,000 people in Belarus have uh, voiced their support for it through the online uh, uh, public opinion sort of expression tool. I wouldn't call it voting, but it's more of a, a tool for people to express their opinion. So yes, and I think uh, speaking of elections, we all know that the entry point for this crisis last August was the falsified election. Yes. So the only way out of the crisis is the good election. Okay, but uh, and you organized a very a very good conference where you presented your your ideas what should be changed in short in short term in long term, but uh, I think that here the main question that probably everybody is asking: uh, How do you think how how viable this approach and this scenario is? Uh, can you have uh, an election if the regime? Uh, is not is not is not okay with that. Oh, oh, well, let me if, rephrase if your yeah. question. How, how let me rephrase you... your question for you. Are are you being realistic? Is is that what you're asking? Yeah. Can you do that? What what, what can you do to to make the regime accept democratic elections? Well. <laughs> Let's start from the point that it is not in the interest of the current regime to have the democratic elections. In any democratic elections, there are winners and losers. And the you know, last year elections have demonstrated who the winners are and who the losers are. That is why we have the crisis, that the regime does not want to accept the actual results of the elections last year. So when we're speaking about holding new democratic elections, I don't think we're speaking of the regime holding these elections. We're not speaking of the current Central Election Commission uh, holding any, anything like democratic elections. If you uh, are following the, the public opinion polls in Belarus, the trust uh, into the current Central Election Commission in Belarus is under 10%. That is the low. That is the institution in a country that enjoys the lowest trust of all. So when we're speaking about holding new elections, we're speaking of a negotiated solution when the elections will be held in the new environment, under the new political leadership as well, and interim leadership. Mm -hmm. This is important to know, dear. Okay. Uh, so, what are the factors? I mean. How can we reach the point that we have an interim uh, kind of a authority power in, in Belarus? How do you imagine that to happen? Like you need external pressure on the regime. Um, you, you need, I don't know, in Bulgaria, we had in uh, 1999, something like a round table negotiations. Uh, do you have any idea how, how to reach that, that point of uh, negotiated interim government or something like that? Well, I think uh, there are a lot of factors that come into it. Let me say, uh, let me also highlight one important thing. When we're speaking of negotiations, we're not speaking of negotiations with personally Mr. Lukashenko. I think for him, any negotiation is the sign of him losing. But what I 
I'm deeply convinced that there are a lot of people in amongst the current authorities in Belarus who do not like this situation of crisis. They do not like this instability, and they know that eventually solutions will need to be found. And the question is only of time until there is enough of those who want this, this crisis to end. Mm. Uh, I think that the external pressure is important, but in the end of the day, uh, we can hope for any kind of assistance, help, even through such mechanisms as sanctions that are coming from the outside. Uh, but in the end of the day, it all depends on the Belarusian people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's now go to the to, to, to the elections as an instrument to, to to restart the system. Can can I call it like that? In the conference that you had last week, uh, you mentioned that that the idea is to have an election within the current uh, uh, legislative framework, because, just because it's impossible to, to change it uh, at the moment. So can you give a little bit more details what you think needs general repair in the way uh, elections are conducted at the moment in Belarus? And what can, for the moment, be used? Which part of the current legislation and the current structure uh, can be used? You already mentioned that this obviously the Central Election Commission cannot be cannot be the same. I think that this was one of my final words when I started this uh, podcast because our first topic was especially uh, Belarus, and there I said that. The, the first step for for new democratic elections is to remove this central election commission. But uh, what do you think? Well, thanks for the question. You obviously have been following the discussions last week at the conference. Uh, maybe to begin with, on this conference, it was co-organized by our international colleagues and partners, IFAS, DRI, International IDEA, under the auspices of uh, the Office of Svetlana Tihanovska. Uh, it brought together representatives of uh, international organizations and, and a lot of Belarusian experts as well. Um, party members, activists, uh, NGOs, uh, citizen observers of Belarus, they've all taken part in the conference. Um, by the way, all the recordings for both days are available on YouTube in all three languages, Russian, Belarusian, English. Yes, and so it's very interesting. Everybody, please was... come and look at it. Uh, Yes, one, one thing we discussed in the second day of the conference was how do you approach the conduct of elections through a what we call a short-term election reform? The idea here is that once we get to the stage that we can have uh, good democratic elections, once the political will is there and the politics allows for it, and I believe that this will be the outcome of the negotiations, we will not be able to change the election code quickly for two reasons. First is that the changing of the election code does need time for public consultations yeah. and also to arrive at something that is politically acceptable to all. Yeah. Consensus. Secondly, yes. And uh, secondly, there will simply not be a body to approve the election code that would enjoy the trust of the people. Yeah. The current parliament, especially in the last couple of weeks, having passed so many draconian laws, 
they're definitely not enjoying the confidence of the people. So I don't really, I can't really imagine how they would be adopting a new election code. Yeah, so it's, let's, it's logical, yeah. Yeah, so let's face the reality. We will have the current election code and we will have a task of holding good elections. So how can we do that? In my opinion, and an opinion of uh, our team of experts, um, what we need to do is to supplement the current election legislation, election code, with the elements of election legislation, such as the regulations and instructions of the Central Election Commission. And there are four key topics that are uh, featuring in all reports of international and citizen observers that deserve the attention. All of those can be regulated to a certain degree through the sublegal acts, instructions, regulations uh, uh, of the Central Election Commission. These four topics are the formation of election commissions, the collection and verification of supporting signatures, the candidates. rights and, and yes, for, can, for prospective candidates, exactly. Uh, the rights and the access of the observers and the counting of votes at the polling stations. Yeah. There could be other elements as well, like, such as, for example, the tabulation of results in the mid-level commissions, the elements of election campaign, or the role of the media in the election campaign. But those are, I would say, these four are the primary ones. The important thing is that the election code in Belarus is, of course, not the best one. It's not perfect, but it is at the same time not the election code that would prohibit the holding of the good elections. Yeah, this was one this was yeah. the opinion of, of, of the experts as much as I heard last week. Exactly. Both the international experts and the Belarusian experts, which is even more important. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, uh, surprising for me, but yes. You know, so it's, you, uh, you have a... I must say, when I started with the team of Svetlana Tihanovska, the public opinion was a bit more diff different. Yeah, it was more of a oh, let's change everything, then we can have a chance to have good elections. But I'm, you know, I'm coming from more than 10 years at the OECOD. I've seen a lot of things happening in different countries, and I'm trying to be both uh, idealistic and hopeful, uh, but, at but the also same pragmatic. Time, like, pragmatic, exactly, yeah. and realistic. Let's not put up, you know, unachievable goals in front of us. So what we've done, we've developed the four regulations on these four topics. We've put them in the draft format online onto the Svetlana Tihanovska's website. We are collecting inputs from the public NGOs, political parties, international colleagues, and we will update those regulations on the website uh, with the new drafts. Well, in a way, regretfully, there is still time to work on the drafts. Yeah. It's not like, you know, we're about to hold, start holding elections tomorrow. Yeah. But at the same time, I can say that already with these drafts, we have the quality instruments to have good elections. But what is even more important, we do have a political consensus among very many different parts of the democratic forces. The yeah. old opposition, the new political parties and political movements. So that's good news. Okay, then let's try to get into some of the details. Uh, as much as I remember, it was very difficult for any kind of an outsider to get into the, the polling station uh, committees. How do you plan to change that? Well, the, the trick here, and I'm glad we're starting from that because it's sort of the beginning of the process, yeah? The trick here is that the election code in Belarus 
envisages that it is the local government authorities that are technically forming the commissions. So I don't think this is a good model. I don't think the local governments should be involved in this process at all, ideally, but the code is what we have and we have to stick to what it says right now. Mm -hmm. So how do we solve the problem and allow for the representation in election commissions? Uh, first of all, I think we need to make the process as public as possible so that no matter what the decisions are uh, by these local government authorities, people understand not only the output, but the process by which these uh, authorities have arrived. I think that I lost you. Yeah, I think what we also need to consider is uh, what is the priority in terms of who should be appointed to the election commissions? Yeah. Should it be the political parties or the NGOs or what the code now has, the labor collectives? Yeah, a little bit of an archaic term. Yeah. Uh, or the citizens. And then our opinion, of course, you know, the law sets certain parameters. But I think that what we want to do is to focus on the public and citizen participation in the election commissions without actually uh, endangering the political balance in the commissions. Yeah. The thing is that the parties in 25 years of Lukashenko rule, the parties have lost their ability to... To be representative. To be representative of the society in yeah. a way, you know? Yeah. It's difficult for... I'm not blaming the parties. Don't take me wrong. Yeah, yeah it's just a fact. Actually, I want to say congratulations. They've survived in these 25 years. Amazing job, yeah? Yeah. But uh, at the moment, I don't think that the political parties can fill the commissions. And once you, and what I also want to avoid is the risk of the imbalanced commissions because some political parties are more capable than others. Yeah. Which is, you know, it would be normal in the functioning democracy. A political party is more capable, hence, more members in the commissions, some balance is preserved but not in the situation when you're just getting started, right? Yeah, in a transitional period, yeah. Exactly. The, 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 last thing you, the last thing you want from the transition period is a transition to a dominance of some other force. Yeah, that's the main danger, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. it is the main danger. And, uh, you know, using the chance, uh, one other big topic to discuss about Belarus is the sequencing of the events in the transition. What comes first, the new constitution or the new elections? Uh, difficult this, question, huh? This is a very difficult question that we had here in Bulgaria, and I think it was the main question in this transitional period about 1989 in the Eastern and Central uh, European. But we have to say that the different countries solved this question in, in a different way. Yeah, I guess, you know, having been classmates with, uh, with you, I think we agree. Let's just study history a bit better and <laughs> yeah. learn from it, no? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, this is uh, the solution for the uh, for the committees. Uh, what about the uh, collection of signatures for for parties and candidates? Because this was actually the first step uh, in in last year's election uh, to stop the oppositional candidates to uh, to run for seats. Uh, glad you ask. Uh, this is definitely something that uh, resulted in a political in in the political situation that we have right now. 
But I think uh, what we are proposing to change within the framework of the current uh, election code is quite simple. Simple and complex at the same time, okay? Like everything in elections. Yeah. Uh, conceptually, it's quite simple. We have to preserve this 100,000 signatures that are required for the registration of a presidential candidate. It is too much. It's uh, about 1.5% of the uh, number of voters, which mm -hmm. is too much. Yeah. But, you know, we have this figure, so let's keep it. No chance to change it. It's in the election code. So the key change that we are proposing is that we want to refocus the process of verification of signatures from looking for the bad signatures to looking for the good signatures. So in the regulation that we're proposing, we're writing it down that the purpose of verification of the signatures is to, to identify a sufficient number of signatures uh, for the registration of a prospective candidate. So we're not looking for any opportunity to invalidate the candidacy. Quite the but, opposite. Yeah, we're looking opposite. For, for as many signatures as we can find in the submitted ones. And then, of course, there's other smaller details such as, you know, in, under the current regulation, you can't really tell anybody anything about the prospective candidate when you're collecting the signatures. I think it's quite ridiculous in a way. Yeah. Okay, you're not campaigning for somebody, but can't you at least say these are the political persuasions of this and that prospective candidates? Put the signature, you'll learn more in a campaign. So we're allowing for that. Yeah, and the, I think it's important element who is controlling the process, who who says that this signature is is valid or invalid. It's the commission. It's, it's the commission. A, it's the mid-level election commissions. Mm -hmm. And they should be, according to your proposal, they should be structured in the same way polling station commissions are structured, or in a different way. Well, there is a. There's also a mechanism that is prescribed in the election code for the formation of mid-level election commissions. But uh, in, in a way, yes, I think that we need to refocus uh, from appointing local, sort of say, officials. So, you know, the current situation is that local officials appoint themselves into these mid-level commissions. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is to have the, a public process that would allow uh, representatives of citizens to be appointed to these commissions. Yeah, the same principle. Okay, so then we reach to the point of, of, of uh, I don't know which one, maybe let's start with the observer because as much as I remember, uh, usually uh, the, the, the effective observers, those who, uh, who are actually uh, trying to observe uh, the, the process, they were not let into the polling stations. Uh, well, exactly. I think uh, the key change that we are proposing is that it's quite simple. The, instead of focusing on what the observers cannot violate and what would be the reasons for them to lose their accreditation, what we're proposing uh, through the regulation is to set out the guarantees for their rights of access to information and the processes. And that is uh, quite, quite simple. It's just, you know, in the end of the day, the rights of observers is not about legal regulation. It's very much, it's much more about the political will to have yeah. the political, the election process open and transparent. Yeah. 
And the final element was the transparency of the votes and counting. What's your idea there? Well, I'll, uh, I'll build on the comparison to what we have right now. If you look at the uh, protocol for the counting of the votes in the last election, you will see that obviously, you know, the number of unused ballots is established as the step one in the process. That's completely normal and useful and, and uh, usual, yeah? Yeah. But the trick is that this number in the current protocol is inserted into the last line. The only reason I see for that to happen is that the numbers need to match. Mm. So what we are proposing is that the counting takes place in a step-by-step fashion and the protocol is filled out publicly through uh, a step-by-step process. And then the protocol also serves as the guidance for the commission to count the votes. Mm -hmm. Second big element is that um, we... Uh, we are proposing that every single ballot and its contents is demonstrated to everybody present at the polling station. Yeah. That is, I think, very normal and usual in very many countries. And the third thing is that the protocol should contain the control equations just to check where the issues are. It's not to make sure that, you know, it's not a controlling mechanism that, you know, finding the guilty people, yeah, in the commissions. It's it's just that... actually helping the commission. If numbers don't match, exactly. If numbers don't match, at least you don't have to invalidate the whole results of the given polling station. Yeah. So we actually, you're proposing elements to to help the commission to how to work. Well, well, that's exactly the idea that... uh, the protocol needs to be not only the output of the commission, but it's also a guidance tool for the commission to do its work. Yeah. Finally, can we say uh, what are the, the next steps for, for, for this idea, for, for this initiative? Well, uh, I think the next steps for us is to keep developing these regulations, to keep conducting public consultations so that when we come to the stage of holding good elections, we have the trust of as many political and societal stakeholders in that we know what we're doing and I have actually seen our plans beforehand. Secondly, uh, very soon we will be announcing the concept of a new election code. That's more in the um, longer term reform prospect. And there, uh, I think we can actually have a separate conversation on that later on. But uh, that's the second part. And here, I think we will be working very closely with our partners and friends in the international community, with the central election commissions around Europe. And uh, in the end of the day, what I want the listeners to leave this podcast with is that we actually are hopeful. I know the situation looks pretty bleak right now in Belarus, but I think we all know that the crisis will need to find its solution. And I think that we would want to have a peaceful solution only through the negotiations and the elections. And the second thing, the last point is that We do know how to have good elections. We have enough good experts in Belarus. So once the opportunity presents itself, we're ready to do it. Uh, I think that this was a very good end of of this conversation. Alex, you know that you are always welcome to this podcast to to have a a conversation on on your ideas. Thank you very much uh, for being part of, of it. Thank you very much, Daniel. Always good to hear you. 
this was Votes and Ballots Podcast. Thank you for listening and follow us on our profiles on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you.